Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Hey, welcome back to the Sassfield Podcast, where relationships are like threads in a grand tapestry, individually special and together a masterpiece. I'm your host, Jeff Mance. B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft the business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. We've been working with clients over the last few weeks, planning 2024, doing what we call laying out the train track so that we start the year with momentum. And I've done that in all my companies as well. And and AI, of course, is a hot topic. And one of the things that we've wrestled with is where and how to use it. We've run a hundred different experiments over this last year and learned a few things. One is that the debate between automation and personal touch is like choosing between a sleek sports car and a reliable old roadster. I mean, both have their charm, but knowing when to hit the gas on automation or when to cruise with a human touch can make all the difference in how your customers, employees, and partners perceive and interact with your business. A SaaS company I think that does this very, very well is Shopify. E-commerce is a tough business with an incredibly wide spectrum of people. Some are really tech savvy and others are just not at all. They do sell to business owners and some very impressive businesses, but also to individuals with zero experience. And I think that they masterfully balance automation with human connection. Their platform automates the nitty gritty of online sales, yet they offer personalized empathetic support to their users. It's like a harmonious blend of efficiency and warmth, tech and touch. And that's extraordinarily hard to do. In our meetings over the last few weeks, we talked through some different ways that leaders navigate this crossroads of automating and humanizing. And here's the distillation of our conversation and a roadmap that may be helpful for you. First, we want to automate the mundane. Identify processes that are repetitive, time-consuming, Think like data entry scheduling or basic customer queries. An example that we put our knowledge base into a chat bot so clients can easily find answers quickly, even when they don't know exactly what to ask. Automation here is like setting your business on cruise control and freeing up your team to focus on areas that genuinely require a human touch. It's about efficiency without sacrificing effectiveness. You know, think about what outcome does the person want? You know, does automating that outcome enhance or take away from the experience? Second, we want to humanize the critical. There are a lot of moments in business that demand a personal touch. A complex customer issues, nurturing employee relationships, or building partnerships. You know, these are the areas where a human voice and empathy and understanding are absolutely irreplaceable. This is where trust is built. Loyalty is forged and relationships are deepened. It's about knowing that behind every email, chat, purchase order, there's a human with unique needs and emotions. So think about how can I deliver a memorable experience in this moment? Third is a feedback loop. Create channels for regular feedback from prospects, customers, employees, and partners, and use that feedback to continually assess the effectiveness of your automation and personalization strategies. You know, this isn't like a set it and forget it deal. It's a dynamic, evolving process. It's about listening and adapting and improving. And I mentioned some experiments earlier. Several of those were absolute bombs. AI seemed like a great idea. And because we had a feedback loop, we learned quickly that we needed to change. But most interestingly, some automations were successful early on until the market caught up and everybody was doing it. And then we had to change our process to deliver a better experience. But by balancing automation with a personal touch, leaders can build stronger, more meaningful relationships that transcend transactions and nurture loyalty. You know, it's not about just being a well-oiled machine, which is cool. It's about being a machine with a heart. Our expert last week was Jason Kruger, president and founder of Signature Analytics. Jason demystified finance and helped us run our company smarter, more profitably, and with less stress. Our founder last Tuesday was Adam Robinson, founder and CEO of Retention.com. They turn anonymous web visitors into friends. 
Adam talked about building in public, creating community, and launching a second product specifically for B2B SaaS companies. Very cool. You got to check that out. If you missed either episode, go back and give them a listen. My guest today is Alex Boyd, founder of Aware, a LinkedIn commenting tool, and RevenueZen, a B2B growth agency. On a long and winding journey through sales, marketing, and social media, Alex focuses on helping people and companies build marketing assets that pay dividends for years to come. Welcome, Alex Boyd. Hey, Alex. Welcome to SaaS Fuel. Thank you so much for having me on. It's good to be here, Jeff. Tell me a little bit about your background and uh, your journey from sales, marketing, to the, the companies you've started now, where, and revenues in. Yeah. Um, I got into sales accidentally. I applied to client services and research and they just didn't have those jobs available and they had the sales job available. So here is this like more shy, quantitative focused, um, you know, person coming out of college with a philosophy degree ending up getting kind of shoehorned into a sales role. But um, <laughs> I was not to be deterred and decided that I could pretty much make a, a process and do my own version of it. I didn't have to do what my sales manager wanted me to do. And that was just a more kind of product knowledge led type of sale, which worked really, really well. I ended up being one of the top sellers at my first job, um, which led me to my next job, which was, you know, an even better kind of environment, um, ended up having an opportunity for me to go into leadership and build a team, which I did. Great experience just going from like sales to, you know, that director level where you're really managing a department, kind of, you know, more of a P&L. Um, and from there, I just thought, okay, well, from here, it's, it's not too much of a leap to be able to do this from scratch. Um, so I started my, my B2B marketing agency almost seven years ago. Um, and Aware was actually started about two and a half years ago, but um, kind of as a, as a response to the, the struggles I was facing in doing social selling and LinkedIn for my agency. Um, fun fact, we launched Aware and had to scrap it a year and a half later because we built the wrong product. Uh, Aware V2 was rebuilt from scratch and relaunched maybe several months ago. So this particular uh, SaaS business is in a very fresh iteration. Um, but that's kind of how I was led here. And I think my sales background led me to the marketing background and the social selling and LinkedIn stuff that our SaaS helps people do is really like, it's a combination of both. I mean, it, it generates high quality discovery calls via marketing. So it's sort of both of those things. And that's why social selling is kind of the, the name sure. of the game our SaaS does and why it kind of combines both sales and marketing cleanly. I like that. So tell me about social selling. Uh, for those that don't know, you know, what is it? How does it work? And, and what do you mean by social selling? It can mean a lot of things. Anything from um, on the most aggressive end, people talk about it as just using LinkedIn to do outbound. And that's not really how I'd call social selling. I'd call that using LinkedIn to do outbound. Um, right. But, uh, then there's social media, which people typically think of as using your company or brand social media account to just push content out. And social selling is a bit of the like in the trenches piece of social media. So it's the combination of um, putting out content, of engaging with other people, and then taking those interactions offline to do selling. Um, my one-liner for social selling is that it's helping people publicly. So instead of doing all of your helping people privately in consulting and discovery calls, you just do that in public. Um, and the way you do that is you, you demonstrate your credibility publicly, you um, highlight your customers' results, what you have helped people do, and then you take those interactions offline and sell. And this has resulted in $5.2 million of source revenue as of the last several years or so for across my businesses, uh, just doing this. And I track that in CRM and Stripe and everything. So uh, it's all kind of logged in and documented. Um, and Aware just helps you do all those things, you know, faster and in a more targeted way. And how does it do that? Tell me about Aware and, and how that works and, and facilitates the, the social selling process. Well, normally if you open up LinkedIn and you want to do some engagement, you want to write some content and just sort of be, you know, do some biz dev on LinkedIn, um, you'll open up LinkedIn.com and you'll see the LinkedIn feed, which is this glorious big black box kind of, you know, our yeah. the algorithm shoved it together and is designed to make you spend more time on LinkedIn, which number one is in 
kind of in contrast to our goals as founders, um, you don't really want to spend as much time on LinkedIn. You don't really want to consume a lot of ads. Um, you want to do what you want to do. You want to go after the right people. You want to engage with people that you chose. You want to talk about the topics that you decided. And so aware lets you build curated and customized and dynamic feeds of posts that you can engage with. Um, so instead of relying on what LinkedIn gives you, you make your own version of that. Um, so you can create, uh, we dynamically create a feed of posts of everyone who engages with you. We show you only their posts which helps create momentum in your community. Um, you can create a post of any, any post, uh, a feed of any post containing the phrase SaaS founders or something, right? You could just, whatever you dream up, you can target any feed that you'd like. Um, and then we have all these fancy charts and graphs to help you analyze your performance, see how you're doing, benchmark yourself, and all, all the above. Some CRM integration stuff too, but the, the main thing people do in Aware is build these awesome custom curated feeds rather than relying on the LinkedIn native one or their bookmarks bar, their spreadsheet or some other kind of like, you know, non-SaaS solution to do that. That same Sure. That's fantastic. And it is a great solution. I mean, anybody that is looking for something like that should definitely check it out and, uh, and, and give it a try. It is, uh, it is a really good solution. But you said this is version two. Uh, what was the difference yeah. in version one and how did you, you said you, you missed the mark there and rebuilt it. Yeah. What happened? What's we, that story? It, classic SaaS mistake. I mean, it was, is um, my first SaaS company. So um, I, I was making that cardinal mistake of building uh, a cool product. Probably the kiss of death in SaaS is to make a cool product, isn't it? <laughs> and like, yes. Yes. Oh, that's cool. It's really cool. <laughs> cool that's neat and the customers are saying that and i was like yeah they think it's cool I'm like oh god no so the problem was v1 was essentially a dashboard of alerts hmm. fine but um a couple of mistakes now we can charge some money for a dashboard of alerts but um the problem with the way it was architected was it was a data hog so our server usage oh wow to get this these alerts was just like you know an ocean of data so we had to price it pretty high um, so we were charging $200 a month, $100, $200 a month for the alerts. And it was alerts of when your prospects that you selected your criteria. And it was like when people meeting your prospect criteria engage with other relevant, significant people, which is interesting. But we didn't let people do anything from there. But then people were saying, great, well, how do I act on that? You know? Right. So then they were like, do it. so then I got to go to LinkedIn. And I was like, yeah, you just open up LinkedIn and do it. And they were like, okay. <laughs> but it didn't cross that barrier of like, I'm yeah. using this every day. And the killer thing is, I don't know if other founders have been in this position, but um, I wasn't using my own product. And I was oh. like, oh, that this is not good. You know, like, and I'm thinking myself, oh, no, it's not as easy. And from there, it was like, yo, if, if we're built something that's for people like me and I'm not using it, that's a, that's a bad sign. So we had that heart to heart as co-founders and, you probably hate if you have a co-founder. You probably hate that heart-to-heart where you have to be like, "Hey, man, should we talk about not doing this?" Or like, <laughs> pretty much scrapping. And, right. and it wasn't like you know break up, but it was like, "I think we need to scrap this." So we did, um, and then we said, "Okay, we're not doing that again. We're going to give people something that you primarily do stuff with, not the stuff you look at, but stuff you do things with." Um, so V two was all about build your list and do your engagement right from here. You'll do it faster, better. It's like a better better way to use the thing you already do. You have this job to be done. Here's a new way of doing it better. It wasn't, it's cool, but no one said cool product. They were like, this is super useful. It's like, okay. So now yeah, that's a different buying signal right there. Very right. It's so like, that was yeah. the feedback we needed is just like, and that was my own um, just happy years as a SaaS founder. And yeah, big lesson is if you have built a cool product that people think is neat and you don't use it constantly, the, the very V1 alpha, you better be using the alpha V1 all the time because you can't find a better way of doing whatever it is you to do. That's a sign you probably built something that's neat and cool and no one's going to actually spend money on it, which we ran into. <laughs> well, what are some... When we look at the band gen, what are some overlooked or underestimated channels to do that for B2B? Um, 
I mean, LinkedIn's kind of the obvious one, but um, I don't know yeah. if people overlook it. Um, zooming out a little bit, I think the most overlooked one right now is probably community in general. Um, like building and maintaining and nurturing a really good community. And LinkedIn is just one of the ways to do that. It's kind of the, the underpinning reason to do it. Um, everyone in B2B marketing and demand gen, the default is kind of spending money on ads. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But when you get into this, like, let me jump, just dump money into content syndication so that you know, hundreds of people who are barely targeted are going to download this ebook, maybe like that whole model maybe used to work, but it's just been so blown out of proportion that the yeah. stuff that is easy to dump money into and get what looks like results, that's super saturated. The stuff that's hard to do and squishy and harder to track, that tends to work better. Um, so in general, unfortunately, I think we know this from being SaaS founders is you usually can't track and attribute perfectly the stuff that works. It's going to be that right. kind of squishy thing, you know? And people talk about, oh, word of mouth and referrals, this like natural viral growth loop is the best way to grow it. Like, yeah, but how do you nurture that? So I, I've been really focused on building community um, as I think a lot of SaaS companies who are growing and doing demand gen are, are putting more attention to this. Like Apollo puts tons of energy and money, lots of money in the community. Um, they ha flew me down to San Francisco to record a social selling academy course for their academy. There was an eight person professional video crew in a studio. Like they're, they're dumping money. Wow. Yeah. Uh, there was hair and makeup for me. God knows I need it. Cause I got all the flyaways and everything, <laughs> but, um, I mean, that's a significant investment and they're all over LinkedIn. I mean, they're, they're engaging everywhere. Their brand account is engaging everywhere. Um, they're one of the few who are really doing it right. I think in SaaS. But you also don't need to do it with such a big budget. Like Dan Schmelia is incredible if you give him lots of money to work with. Um, I don't think he'd know what to do without a budget. Um, but some community marketers in SaaS and demand gen, I mean, I also wouldn't know what to do with a big budget. So I'm kind of on the opposite end where um, yeah. my default is more this kind of bootstrapper, like I'll get it done, you know? Um, I know what to do with, you know, 10 grand a month. Oh, great. I'll hire a fractional this person and a contract that and a little bit of ad right. budget, but you know, I'm not going to do, I'm going to make a splash with a little. Um, and that's, I think a big overlooked part of this is you can do a lot with a little, if you're willing to get your hands dirty. Um, and that's where I think bootstrap SaaS founders have so much to teach, uh, more corporate B2B demand gen marketers who yes. by and large are more kind of removed sort of, I just turned the dials. I'm not part of this. There's sort of like this emotional lack of investment almost where like, Stats founders, you are in it. Like you made this thing. You're you're getting it going from nothing. You're you're blowing in the bellows of the fire, as it were, yourself. Yeah. Uh, versus the demand general, I feel like sometimes is this. It's not as involved. You know, you are kind of like piloting the drone versus on the ground. Um, and I think just getting on the ground with these kind of community building initiatives, make that Slack group participate in it. Pull the video camera out, post that video, you know, uh, leave 50 comments a week via your brand account on prospect LinkedIn posts. There's just so much you can do that doesn't require a budget um, that is wildly effective. And people want that, that human touch. They can kind of feel when you're blowing in the bellows versus piloting the drone. And um, right. I think that's a big lesson we got to learn is, is get involved. Don't be scared of it. So somebody wants to start a community, I think community-led growth is fantastic. What should they be thinking about or what should they do in order to move that forward and make it happen? Um, well, I think first you need the right person to be managing it. And it's okay to admit if you're not the right person. Um, I think that the choice of tool is not the place to start. Um, so the tool is like... That's where we all want to start because that's easy. Yeah. Sure. And it's funny because um, you have these great community marketers who are like, man, the first question people ask me is what tool do I use? And I'm like, that's not the, that's not the question you should be asking me, you know? Um, so, I mean, the, the unsatisfying but true answer is you have to start with the strategy of like, the hell is the point of your community? Um, you should be able to say the point of the community. 
It doesn't have to be a gated bounded community of like, if you enter this Slack group, you are in our community. It can be the sort of amorphous thing that lives around social media and word of mouth. And, you know, you might call that dark social or whatever the term is, but um, it's be able to say the purpose of your community. Um, so the purpose of community for aware is, I mean, the bullet points are to get more people doing social selling in the way we think it should be done, um, to let successful social sellers share ideas, say that five times fast, um, and ultimately to then use that to create more brand equity for aware to cause more sales. So like that's the strategy of our community building. Um, and if you can't say your version of that, then you should probably be able to say that first. Once you've all agreed on what the strategy is, then you can do things like, okay, well, where do our people hang out most? Do right. we, should we give them a new place to hang out or should we go where they are? Or should we do both? Um, from there, you might begin to think about tools. Like step three, right, is like maybe pick a tool. And if the answer is, well, our market's just lurking on LinkedIn, then the answer is we should probably post more on LinkedIn, engage with them where we can. Maybe we buy aware to do that engagement, but like the that's one version. Or maybe it's like our buyers really want a gated private environment to hang out in. Then, well, we should create a Slack group. We should use our social media to, to um, increase the size of our Discord or Slack or Circle channel or whatever it is. Um, right. And know your audience. Like, Don't create a, a, a Discord channel for uh, VPs of sales. They don't know what that is, and they're going to think you're a giant geek. <laughs> right? Exactly. But like, strategy first. Um, then pick channels and things you want to do. Finally, pick tools, I'd say. And for me, it's always been, you know, if I'm selling to, to marketing and founders, then LinkedIn is kind of an obvious choice. So for me, it's been it's been easy. But um, I mean, hell, I've been in Slack. I've been in Google groups that are enormous communities. I mean, can you imagine? But like, yeah, it's a huge 30,000 person community of sales operations people. And they just want it in their email. So there it is. Modern Sales Pros is a giant community that, some people don't even know about, which is nuts. Um, and, and yet it's one of the biggest communities for that role that exists. So do it in that order, I think, and don't jump to picking a tool. Uh, I say this as somebody who sells a tool, but uh, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't do that first. Think about the strategy first and then choose the tool based on that. I think that is great, great advice, really figuring out that strategy. If you want that human connection with fellow B2B SaaS founders, check out today's sponsor, Champion Leadership Group. It is the ultimate resource for SaaS founders and C-suite executives to continue to develop themselves, scale their companies, and never walk alone on the journey. Supercharge revenue by leveraging time-tested SaaS growth principles, toolkits, playbooks, frameworks, all designed to help you scale AR from seven to eight to nine figures. Collaborate with an elite network of SaaS visionaries as we up-level ourselves and have some fun along the way. Confidently take that right next step that turns into a quantum leap of profitable growth, premium valuation, and freedom. Learn more at championleadership.com. So what is your take, if we're not picking the tool first, what is your take on doing it on the platform versus owning the group and, and doing it on something like Slack or Circle or something like that? Yeah, I mean, the, the the argument of, you know, don't build on rented land is is interesting, but um, who who really gets kicked off the rented land these days? Um, you know, like you could say the same thing for, um, I don't want to make a WeWork analogy that's absolutely terrible. They really did build on rented land and got their asses kicked <laughs> for it. Um, right, right. But, you know, a commercial real estate operator um, can own or rent land. Um, sure. I mean, I think the, if you're building a community on a social media platform and you're not doing it in a way that is pissing off the platform, you're fine. Um, and the, yeah. the built-in reach is hard to get elsewhere unless you have a different distribution channel. Um, so the arguments to be made are first, do the people that are going to be in this community, do they want to be, where they are on the social media platform, or do they actually prefer for some reason we can define, uh, do they want to be in a separate place? Um, so maybe the, the reasons to do a private community might be privacy. Like they are sharing things that they do yeah. not heard publicly elsewhere. Um, uh, compliance. Maybe they are talking about things that they can't, they can't share. Um, maybe there is an NDA to enter the group. Um, 
it could be format. Maybe the best format of having these types of conversations that are in depth about one specific topic or thread is just better as a forum. Like a Google group with an email thread, everyone responds to it, keeps that thread nice and tidy. Whereas a LinkedIn post with a bunch of comments doesn't really keep that as tidy. Um, right. So, you know, the the argument is, is think about how the community is actually going to be made and structured. And that, again, I'm a big LinkedIn person. I think you can do a pretty good job of that with LinkedIn posts because you post about something. There's a comment thread. You can engage with someone else. I kind of prefer a little bit more chaotic nature of it. And my, my market, you know, B2B marketers and vendors, they're okay with that level of chaos. Um, but IT operations people, no, 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 no. They, they keep it like, we're talking about this, please answer the question. And then it's kind of, it's more, it's more neat. And that's kind of how their thought patterns go. Um, so, you know, again, it's like, that's why with, when selling aware, we have to be really mindful of who we're selling to and does it make sense for them? So we really talk about this being a good fit for those that want to build a community and engage on LinkedIn. And if your primary buyer is, you know, um, defense contractors, you're probably not going to be a great fit for aware, or maybe it's just a very small part of your strategy. So that kind of influences, you know, the knowledge of how to build a community influences how we market. Um, and of I think course. the same should go for a lot of SaaS founders is if you're good at the thing that your customers are doing, you can be a lot better at marketing your product than if you just sort of, you know, had an idea and never bothered to develop the skill of what it is your customers are doing. I mean, if you sell podcasting software, you better be good at podcasting, you know, right, um, right. versus just being like, oh, I think there's an opportunity to sell to podcasters. Like, no, 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 you have to do the thing. Again, my, my whole ethos is get your hands dirty, you know, be involved. Yes. Um, and there's, there's so many ways that apply as well to SaaS and marketing and, um, choice of community platform, but, um, it's the, it's what I do if, if I'm working with any client, uh, for our agency is we get our hands dirty. We learn it, you know, and they say, well, how do you onboard to our subject matter knowledge? We do, we, we, we accomplish that. We get in there and don't take shortcuts and we learn it. Um, if I, if I was going to take a job at some point, I would do the same thing. I'd spend the first whole week just learning the subject matter before I start sure. doing stuff. Um, that's, I think, a big thing that SaaS people um, should get their heads around too and like be willing to do. Yeah. One reason I love bootstrap founders, there's a million reasons, and, and that is just one, is that they do get their hands dirty and they are really involved in the process and understand the industry and their customers. Totally. They got a lot of times far better than, than somebody who's just like, there's money to be made in this industry, so we made a product for it. Yeah. And the venture-backed founders can often have a huge passion for the industries they're in. Um, but yes. I have noticed that it's more, um, you don't bootstrap SaaS unless you're... Um, that the probability that you were passionate about something is much higher for bootstrap SaaS. I can think of, I had to qualify. I was like, I can think of some bootstrappers who don't really give a shit about whatever it is they're doing, but primarily, you know, you do that if you're kind of a crazy person who wants to just do an awesome job in this industry <laughs> and you're just like, the solution should right. exist. I'm going to build it. No one tell me what to do. Um, yeah. Do you notice this thing too, where like bootstrappers are, just have this independent streak where like, Yes. You don't want people to tell you what to do and the money be, yep. maybe I can make more money. I don't care. I'll grow slower. Don't tell me what to do. And you're like opinionated <laughs> on the thing that you're building, you know? Yeah. I really like that. It, it's that independent spirit and uh, just that the entrepreneurial spirit of, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to conquer this mountain. Yeah. I'm going to climb it. I'm going to do it. And, and yeah. I don't want to have to have a board meeting every hundred meters up the mountain. You know, right. <laughs> I'm just going to go get it done. And, yeah. and they do amazing things. And th there is certainly a time for funding in a place. And there's there's sure. a million ways to fund companies. But it's just that that independent spirit of, uh, you know, there's a problem and I'm going to go solve it and and make happy clients and, and really make an impact in the industry. It's not just about dollars, not just about growth at all costs, but there's something bigger there. There's a passion to really serve. I think so. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I've thought about some methods of, of funding. Like I've actually, I've actually never done an AppSumo, for example. Um, actually, I'm curious your thoughts on that too, because uh, I've been told you got to do it. It's going to bring a few hundred grand of cash flow, blah, blah. And you know, don't worry about the, the servicing costs over the lifetime. And um, my co-founder is on the opposite end. He's just like, nope, I don't want to support lifetime. We don't need the money. 
I'm kind of in the middle of like, well, it would be nice to have the money. Um, <laughs> we could do a lot with that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've gotten um, advice both ways there. I'm sure there's a good argument to be made, but um, I haven't gone that route yet. I don't have like a definitive answer on it. I'm just sort of like, yeah, maybe I'm still considering it. It's one of those things. It, it is a catch-22. You know, maybe for a, a limited time or, you know, you do some sort of a, you know, a, a promotion, something like that. Uh, but I think if you want to build a long-term SaaS, it's all about the recurring revenue. Yeah. And so, you know, not having that over the the long term, I think, can hurt valuation. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, but it, but it depends. It can be a really good way to raise cash in the early days, especially. So if it's if it's launch time and you give some early adopters a super sweetheart deal that's forever, it's not not all bad. Yeah, I think too. If um, if we had done it with a V1 where we had this giant server hog. Uh, data crunch and our cogs was super high. Mm, bad idea. But if somehow you yeah. have like a very data light or like super high gross margin, then probably better argument to be made. So that's probably what how how I would counsel someone is just like look at the financials of it, um, which is where I. Feel what's like the cost of revenue? Here. What's the cost of serving that? You know, over the course of you know ten years. Yeah, potentially. I mean, you're going to have those zealots that are just they love your product and they're constantly asking you questions and they're taking full advantage of that lifetime deal. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always interesting, you know, thinking about something like that. You know, should I, should I? Because there, there's an upside and downside to every decision. Yeah. And so I think it's different for different companies. But, you know, what is what is the cost of servicing that over a long period of time? And can you get enough cash now to make that worthwhile or use the cash to build up other business in that revenue stream while, you know, that's, you know, while that's happening? Yeah, what are you going to do with that? I mean, that's like the nature yeah. of strategy, right? It's not some some empty word. It's like, if I do this, then we'll be able to do that with that. It's just like the... Right. There's got to be a bigger plan. It's not yeah. just, we're going to sell some lifetime stuff just because we can. Because we want some money, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. It totally <laughs> has to be a strategy that. behind it. Right, right. Yeah, I think, but also like, that's that's one. I think there's also the type of bootstrapper who, you know, is listening to this show is probably going to think, they're going to be somebody who, if you give them a challenge, like continue as you are, or I give you, you know, 300 grand and more lifetime users to support, I bet they'll figure it out no matter what too, you know? Yes. Like there's also like, there's kind of no wrong answer because you're probably awesome at doing this and you'll figure it out. So I stress over decisions, but you alluded to this earlier, like we have to make so many decisions constantly and just go with them that, um, I think part of, of, um, SaaS is just moving fast and being okay with leaving a bit of the trail of mess that you kind of have to clean up and having this just part of the game. Um, yes. It was back to that like bootstrapper versus corporate demand gen where like the corporate demand gen, it's all got to be buttoned up. Campaign's got to be perfect. There's, there's not a lot of room to color outside the lines. Um, but I think the world needs more of that. I think the world needs more of that, like more entrepreneurial, be will, willing to be less buttoned up, just figure it out type of mentality. Yeah. But not everyone's like that. It's like just a risk tolerance thing of, do you bootstrap, yeah. do you raise, do you go into corporate and take a job, do you do your own thing and spend some savings to get this this dream up and running? Yeah. Well, building a business is messy. There's no question about that. And you know, so making those decisions and and some of them are going to be wrong. And you yeah. just want those wrong decisions to be small and be able to adjust quickly and recognize that that wasn't the best decision and to, to make a, a change. Yeah, like knowing, being able to evaluate the risk of ruin on any decision you make is quickly is a super important skill because you can't move fast and break things if, if like every time you do that, you have like a one in three chance of the whole thing coming down. Like that's not <laughs> right, that good, you know? Um, but if it's like, you know, something small and fixable and I just need to be comfortable with imperfection emotionally, that's way easier than, um, than the sort of large risk of ruin thing. Which, which comes back to like choice of channel too, because community, people think, oh man, if I say the wrong thing, I'm done. Like, no, you just apologize. It's actually pretty simple. Um, you have to be just <laughs> willing to apologize if you do say the wrong thing. Um, whereas some channels, you, I mean, you run the wrong Facebook ad, you get kicked off. You're done right. running Facebook ads. Uh, starting in February, 2024, you send enough cold emails on your primary domain and you will need yourself a new primary domain. Uh, the, I mean, the, of that big Google announcement, right? So, uh, mm -hmm. know the risk of ruin, I think, and be, and make choices that, uh, 
um, require you to grow as a person if you mess up, not choices that uh, will cause you to lose more than you're comfortable losing. I think that's going to be really interesting to see what happens with email marketing yeah. after that. Yeah. Is it just going to be, you know, burn a domain and then move to a new one and, you know, have a bunch of them? That's talking about. But yeah. It feels like you're kind of doing guerrilla warfare against a, um, a more indifferent but larger and far better funded opponent who could crush you yes. if they wanted to. And it's just like, <laughs> we hope they don't, you know? Uh, yeah. I feel like cold emailing, the cold email growth hacker crowd right now, it's probably just like, I mean, that's, I'm in their groups. Like, that's what they're talking about is just create 30 domains, not, not two, just create more domains. But then they're going to figure out which credit cards you're using to buy domains and time right. back to you. And then they're right. going to figure out like IP addresses and like, what are you just going to run forever? You're just come step into the light, like get good at the stuff right. that as is, I mean, I feel like such a um, goody two shoes saying like, we'll do the approved marketing, but <laughs> It costs you so much mental energy to just run from a larger opponent constantly. Uh, right. And man, I say this as somebody who at my last company, I was a head of sales. We were sending 20,000 cold emails a month. Half of those were automated templates and we set 200 meetings a month. I hated it, but it worked. I, I recognize when that day is done and I recognize that four years ago. And now the writing is finally coming on the wall. So um, yeah, I'm curious to see how the cold email growth hacking crowd goes, but like... If I was sales loft right now, I would not be having a good time. I would be very, very right, sad. right. Yeah, I think it really will be interesting. And then maybe that goes back to the the bootstrap mindset of you know we'll we'll figure it out. So whatever the, the landscape is going to shift, and we'll figure it out. Yeah, which is easier to do if you're smart leader instantly than if you're sales loft. You know, right? If you're a corporation with a board. Uh, tough to figure that out. Um, but if you're tiny, you can you can get with your co-founder and hash it out for three hours and, and come up with a solution and then you, you just go with it. So uh, there is a benefit to being small. I'm, that is yeah. a thing that the small people have um, to their benefit is um, nimbleness is a real, real asset. Yes, uh, it is. Maintaining that as you scale. Like even if you get to be, I mean, this goes for like hiring too. Uh, HRFs, their revenue per employee is what? A million plus? Nuts. Yep. What's built with revenue per employee? 15 million? One guy, 15 million revenue? It's, it's like crazy numbers. Yeah. Nuts. Talk about nimble. It's just like, that's incredibly nimble. I'm not, I'm not even that extreme, <laughs> but like, don't go bloated. Um, and don't think of hiring as a badge of honor because it can get you in real trouble because then you have emotional difficulty in saying, we have to adapt to this market change, but people's livelihoods are, are in our hands. And it, it makes you make wrong decisions. Like probably better to not have hired them in the first place if you didn't need it. Um, in the right. thing lean, you know, especially if you're bootstrapped, keep more of that cash. It's king. Yeah, that's it's been really bizarre to me this last year. You look at some of the big tech companies; they'll cut 30, 40, 50 percent, 70 percent of their staff. It's like, what exactly were those people doing in the first place? Yeah. How did how did how did we get here? I know. I mean, I have friends who work at, at Meta and they're just like, they admit, you know, over after a couple of glasses of wine, they're like, I don't really know what my job is. <laughs> like, And you're getting paid wow. $300,000 a year to not know what your job is. You know, it's like, yeah. Um, yeah. If you could cut them and nothing truly breaks, um, you probably have the wrong team in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, looking at community led growth, you know, in some of the social selling, you said it's more difficult to see direct ROI from something like that. What are some of the highest ROI tactics that you've come across uh, in the agency or in building aware? Um, good question. I, th I think you can do more attribution than you think. Um, so there's two questions in there. One is, um, is it true that you can't do attribution? Um, I don't think you can get exact, but you can do it. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, yeah. Uh, higher ROI tactics, I'd say, would be uh, executive posting. If you are the CEO, founder, your LinkedIn profile is something you should definitely use. Um, I can already hear the howls of, but if you have a personal brand, no one's going to buy your company. The primary thing someone wants to buy is a profitable, growing company. So if your personal brand right. is an efficient way of doing that, great. If you have to do an earnout where you spend 9 to 12 months transitioning your personal brand, 
so be it, you know, like, but that's, that's honestly not that big a deal. You write what 20 LinkedIn posts and schedule them over the course of your own out and you know, you, you do it. Um, so I think people really, maybe this is my bias showing, but I think people really shy away from personal branding because they think it's cringy. And for that reason, it's not, it's just a method yeah. of marketing that is more organic and personal. So, uh, do it, um, plan it out. And like you see bigger venture funded SaaS CEOs spending two hours a day on LinkedIn and their companies are growing super well because their posts get hundreds of engagements. They, they reach, you know, a million people every quarter. That's yeah. huge. And they have no ad budget behind that. Nuts. Um, I'm just about to, to test more thought leader ads, which is kind of the boosting pay boosting equivalent of, of LinkedIn, um, which just yep. came out. Um, I don't want to, uh, share the results of a test that I'm just optimistic about. Um, but, um, there's some cool stuff there with like posting assets and lead magnets that took a while to create that people comment on your posts to receive. And then that juices up engagement. And then you pay to boost that further to the exact audience you want to see it. Um, I'm doing and do that myself soon, but I've seen examples of bootstrappers use that tactic to extremely good effect for like 500 bucks in budget and get like hundreds of leads. Um, wow. Which just requires creating an amazing lead magnet. Like I spent right. eight hours writing a 12,000 word book all about B2B SEO. It's, it's good. It's really good. Um, I slaved over it. Like, so there's some budget there to create that type of thing, but you can get your team to do that if they're good. You know, like it doesn't have to be all you, but um, that's one thing. But you can just do that organically. Provide people with value um, organically. Give them stuff. Give them your well-thought-out response to something. Um, that's a super high ROI. Um, my average revenue per LinkedIn post is $13,000. It's pretty good. I don't spend that long writing. Yeah. Um, and you stack that up and it, it adds up. Um, that's how we get to the 5.2 million we've clocked in already from, from social selling. Um, so that's the biggest thing is, um, the, the, the person with the biggest opinion and, and stature should be posting. Um, next is anybody in your team who has a knack for it, they should be posting. Um, for a long time when you thought of Gong, uh, I still can't tell you the, the CEO of Gong's name. But I know Sarah Brazier, I know Udi Ledergore, uh, not the CEO, people who post on LinkedIn. And isn't that interesting? Oh, I mean, that is. I just remembered it, but like it yes. took me a lot longer to remember the CEO's name. Um, so get your team doing it too. And the last one is just uh, engage, like be present as well. Don't be aloof. Um, you can get help engaging. There, um, some, some CEOs have a close lieutenant managing their LinkedIn which I think is acceptable as long as it's not, you know, horse shit that you're putting out, but like yeah. um, you can manage it as a team, a close team. And that's totally fine. You get help with it. In fact, a lot of CEOs have a team around them making them look big on LinkedIn where it doesn't take all their, their own time. Um, so the community hack there is get help with engagement and content creation, but be like the spark of inspiration for what you're saying. Um, that's super high ROI. A lot of SaaS CEOs and agency founders like, if you dial that in and you're, you have to be smart about it. Like if, if you know, you don't have a lot of opinions on the, the, the industry, like maybe it's not the best channel for you, but if you're that SaaS founder that really cares that bootstraps, cause you're a zealot then do it. Um, that's super high ROI. What do you think about uh, video versus post? It seems like LinkedIn has gone the opposite way of other platforms where they kind of push video down and post higher where other platforms it's reversed. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the video gets more engagement and gets promoted more than text post. That's a good question. Um, I find that that's only true when you look at the reaction numbers um, and the view. Okay. Um, part of this is because views are measured differently for video and more stringently than they are for text. So it's a, it's actually kind of a common misconception Um that video gets less engagement um, because a view for text is any impression. A video impression is mm. at least, I think it's like three seconds of watch time. So okay. text posts are just counted much more easily. Remember the thing with Facebook where they did that for ads? Yeah. This is just for organic, but it's, it's counted differently, number one. Number two uh, is 
there's a subjective richness to good video content that you don't get um, with text. We're at minute approximately 40 of this recording. If you are still listening to this right now, you are proving that audio can have plenty more richness than you could have gotten if we just posted the summary of this this podcast on a text. Right. Right? But now you've consumed 40 minutes. I look at my video posts and um, an average of eight hours of watch time across the, the impressions are, are on each video. So if I get you know, hundreds of potential buyers to consume the full three minutes of my video content, that's great. Um, I just can't unpack as much as I can in video over text. If you can hear my voice and see my face and, and form some sort of connection um, through seeing me put myself out there, there's a richness to that that you can't do through text too, where it's again, more kind of yes. black. So um, I don't actually think that LinkedIn penalizes video. It penalizes bad video because your average percent viewed on your video is going to be low. And if you maximize average percent yeah, by being concise, scripting it out well, jump cutting out the stuff that doesn't belong in there, and just having something impactful to say, then your video will get great engagement. My videos get um, actually a pretty similar number of reactions as my text posts do, but they get better watch time. Um, so I, I don't necessarily agree that it, it penalizes it. I just think you have to measure it a bit differently and recognize that LinkedIn just literally puts a different way of measuring it on it. Um, and then we didn't talk about attribution. Um, you can't yes. attribution. Add a first, um, if, you're, if you're larger, more than 50 conversions a month, you can do marketing mix modeling. You can put in events, things you're doing, and then statistical modeling platforms can um, essentially measure based on what you're doing, whether that was impactful and caused the conversions to happen or whether it was merely correlated with it. Um, if you're smaller, you're probably going to have a good sense because people are going to tell you on demo calls how they heard about you. If you have a form that they you capture leads from, the how did you hear about us field is going to store that data. And you can just go in your CRM and have a lead source drop down that includes things like heard about us on LinkedIn or CEO social or whatever it is. So like you, and then you can track that to the MRR. So do attribution, um, especially with like Google and Apple messing with cookies and, and privacy tracking, that's going to yeah. be weird anyway. So let's just give up the idea that you can get perfect attribution and get within 85% closeness and use one of these methods. And I think you can definitely do attribution on community. Uh, we do. Um, and we do it on influencers too. Um, so it's nice with influencers and affiliates because they have an affiliate link so I can do more like hard. Right. Um, so that's kind of a little cheat code. But even if they don't do it, I still pay attention to the uh, somebody who comes in. If they mention an affiliate and it wasn't credited to them, I will manually add it to that affiliate's account, costing me more money to get better attribution, sure. reward the affiliate. Like I'm very, very honest about it for all those reasons. Um, and you, you can do all sorts of things to get, you know, 85% good attribution. Um, so just it kind of, the whole theme of this show has been don't expect perfection, get involved in it, pay attention to the pulse and you'll get good enough to do, you know, great things without having to have perfection the whole time. Um, if you can go from wanting 98% down to 89% accuracy, you, you're just, you'll uncap your growth in all these areas, I think. So that's the diatribe. That's on. really, really good advice. Community attribution, yeah. measurement, like all this stuff. Like if you can let go of the need to control and measure everything, you will go far. And that's a life lesson too. That's good. We'll wrap up with this. If you had to choose just one marketing asset companies should invest their time and resources into, you know, what one would that be and then why? Well, the consultant in me is going to have to say it depends. Um, but for me, it'd be, it'd be LinkedIn. Uh, I, I would ditch my newsletter, our outbound emails, our cold calls. If I just had one, it'd be LinkedIn. Um, I would even turn off our SEO, which would be so painful, but I would have to do it. Um, <clears throat> but for some people, it's SEO. Some people are just like their market's not on LinkedIn, but they have a solution people Google. And I'd be like, look, turn everything else off and keep SEO. Um, uh, usually there's going to be one channel. And for, for the businesses that I start, it tends to be LinkedIn, mostly because I already have this asset. So I'm going to create businesses for which that is the best channel. I'm not going to, I'm less likely to buy or create a business that requires me to learn 
Facebook ads. I just don't know what I'm doing with Facebook ads. So why would I, why would yeah. I get too involved there? Um, but I think your, the answer will be different. If you like, if you sell t-shirts, you're probably not going to care much about LinkedIn. So um, yeah, I'll just say subjectively for everything that I'm involved in, LinkedIn is by far the best method and the asset that I'll keep. Um, but I'm sure many people would say, no, for my own reasons, I have this other one. Um, it's usually pretty easy to figure out what that one would be. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't post on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, I only install TikTok once in a while and then I uninstall it because it, it gets me. It, like I get, I scroll until it tells me to stop. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not a social media person. I'm a, I'm a LinkedIn capitalist and I'll just, I'll just go with that. Love it. Love it. Well, where can people learn more about you and Aware and Revenue Zen online? Where do you think? Um, I'm going to the same answer. I, I, How about LinkedIn? Yeah, I usually don't provide my, I mean, my email address is there. You can get it wherever you need to. But um, uh, LinkedIn's like the sort of the, the gateway, the link tree, if you will, is is there. You can find all the links to what I'm doing and what I'm working on. Just send me a DM and I'll direct traffic. It's probably the best way. Send me a connection request and just indicate what you want to talk about and I'll just direct you from there. Um, so you don't have to worry about going through my sales funnel because the sales funnel is just us chatting. Um, so yeah. <laughs> nice. That's fantastic. We'll make sure to link that in the show notes and everybody should go look at aware and, uh, and, and get on that because it's not just a cool tool, although it, uh, it is pretty cool, Great. but it is extremely useful, extremely useful, super powerful as well. And, uh, and I love that, that, that you haven't embraced the whole AI thing and, and it, it is human to human communication. Yeah. which I think is the future of social. Definitely. Uh, what, what it was designed for, right? Yeah, exactly. I appreciate <laughs> you having me on, Jeff. It's been great. Thank you. Well, thanks again, Alex, for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. You know, the thing that stuck out to me the most was his take on building solutions that are cool versus useful. And as absolute gold, I've made that mistake before. We started using that when talking about enhancements. You know, is this cool or useful? And really focused on the highest value things. Well, as always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. Subscribe and follow us there as well. And everyone who subscribes this week gets Presence by Proxy, an AI that understands your friends and family's likes and dislikes, curating a list of gifts so thoughtful they think you spent months of planning. Hmm. Now the big question, automate? or humanize. That's a tough one. Join us Thursday on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, where my guest is AJ Wilcox from beattolinked.com. AJ demystifies LinkedIn ads and how you can use that as a starting point to be everywhere. And next Tuesday, we have founder Jonathan Fields, CEO and co-founder of Assembly, an intranet focused on communication, employee engagement that uses AI. We'll talk about non-traditional ways to scale a SaaS, I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!